Support for I Am Salt Lake comes from KRCL 90.9, amplifying community voices since 1979. This listener-supported music discovery station covers everything from reggae and punk rock to local grassroots activism. Listen today at 90.9 FM or online at krcl.org. This episode of the podcast is also brought to you by Mark Miller Subaru, Market Source Real Estate, and the Salt Lake Barber Company. We're going to be telling you more about them throughout this episode. Hey, I want to personally welcome you out today to episode 393 of I Am Salt Lake Podcast. My name's Chris Hollifield. And my name's Chrissy Hollifield. And if this is your first time listening to this show, you might be wondering what it's all about. Well, this podcast is all about showcasing the awesome people here in Salt Lake City, Utah. We get to talk to musicians, authors, business owners, restaurant owners, breweries, distilleries, really anyone who might have a cool story to share. And if you weren't aware yet, I wanted to tell you guys, August, this is the first episode of August, so I wanted to tell everybody that this is the seven-year anniversary of this podcast. So I want to thank those of you that have uh, been telling your friends about the podcast, those of you that have been listening, those of you that have left reviews, those of you that have donated, those of you that are Patreon supporters, sponsors, just anyone who's been involved in one way or another with this podcast. I want to thank you because the last seven years would not have been possible without you. Oh, so thank absolutely. You. Yeah. So what do, you, what do you think? When you started this seven years ago, Chris, did you imagine the show being what it is today? Absolutely not. I knew it had the potential of being a big podcast here in Salt Lake City, mm-hmm. a, a podcast that people would use as a resource, but I never imagined it would turn into what it is today. And I... I got goosebumps right now, Chrissy. Yeah. It is well, It is really, really a cool experience. The last seven years have been amazing. I've grown mm-hmm. a lot as an individual, and I'm sure people that have been listening since the beginning, you've heard that in me. Oh, and yeah. So, yeah. And I wanted to, again, publicly thank you again for, for oh. spending another year being a uh, co-host <laughs> on I Am We'll see Salt how long I last. No, this is it's been a blast. I have loved every second of it. And we're recording today right in beautiful downtown Salt Lake City in our podcast studio that's located way in the back of Empire Merchandise. Empire Merchandise is located at 680 South State Street. You might be asking yourself, well, what the heck is Empire Merchandise? Empire, they carry an amazing selection of vape juice, vape accessories. They got CBD products, t-shirts, all kinds of fun stuff here, as well as I Am Salt Lake podcast t-shirts. They sell them here for you. So stop on in, check this place out and support them because, hey, they let us record our podcast here. Exactly. Today on the podcast, we get to sit down and chat with friend of the podcast, Cody Egbert. We thought it could be a really interesting episode for you if we were to bring on a recovering drug addict from Salt Lake City and have him share their story. Chrissy and I met Cody about a year ago, and after finding out about all the stuff that he's overcome, we had to bring him on the show. We had to get him to share his story because I know there's probably other people out there that are dealing with the same struggles as Cody did. So on this episode, Cody shares his story on what it was like for him as a drug addict and a drug dealer here in Salt Lake City. Keep in mind, though, that this conversation is a little more intense than some of our previous episodes, but we feel it's an important subject matter to discuss. We're going to be getting into that in just a moment, though. Before we do that, though, let's give some love to one of our awesome sponsors, Market Source Real Estate. 
For the past 17 years, Market Source Real Estate has been helping people buy and sell homes in Sugar House as well as the greater Salt Lake City area. Market Source Real Estate has been a sponsor of this podcast for the past year and a half. So we were really excited when we decided to purchase a home that we were finally able to work with Monique and Jeremy and experience it for ourselves. They made the process so easy. They really did. And they and they literally helped us find our dream home. It was It's incredible. I love our house. So whether you're looking to buy a home or even sell a home, they know all the ins and outs of what to look for or tips that will make your home sell faster. You can find all of their info at thinksaltlakecity.com or just give them a call, 801-810-6773. Again, their website, thinksaltlakecity.com, or just give them a call, 801-810-6773. And many thanks to Market Source Real Estate for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Let's get into that conversation with Cody Egbert when he came over to our podcast studio to share his story. Thank you so much for listening. Enjoy. Let's even just find out where's home for you, Cody. Where did you grow up? I grew up in uh, North Salt Lake City, Utah. Pretty much the Rose Park area was kind of my, was kind of where I was born and raised. I was in between like living with my parents down in Rose Park to bouncing back to my grandmother's house in North Salt Lake. And primarily my residence was in, in Rose Park. And then we kind of adjusted that so I could go to school up in, in North Salt Lake at Orchard Elementary. So it was kind of like a bounce back situation. So did you come from a big family by yourself, um, only child? So I thought I was an only child up until like the age of like 10 when my I found out that my dad actually had another son. So I had a half brother. Okay. Um, and I didn't meet my half brother until I was about 12 years old. What, so, what was that like for you when was, you found that it out? It was man? like a shock, man, because here I'm thinking like, oh man, I wish I had like an older brother or sister or whatever. And then, boom, I had one, you know, and the, th- the crazy thing was, is we're only seven months apart. But a- after like being able to see my brother, we-, we got close really quick. We were hanging out with each other. And then he also had a half brother and a half sister. It was kind of like a, a situation where my dad um, had had a relationship with his friend's wife. And then they, he, she got pregnant with his kid, but him and his best friend parted ways. And obviously for the circumstance and and the reasons, but they continued their family, which that's how my brother has half brothers and sisters. So you guys still close? Yeah. Yeah. He's actually, he was living in Florida for quite some time. Um, but now he came back to Utah and he's kind of just trying to start his own family and stuff. So dude, let's, let's go back, man. How old were you when you first, like the first time you ever got introduced to drugs? Um, I was, unfortunately the situation was I was 10 years old. Um, and it wasn't like a normal kid experimenting with drugs type of deal. What had happened was, is, uh, my dad and, and my, I'm going to say my aunt, which is actually my stepmother because my, my father actually married my mom's sister. Wait, back up a little bit there. (laughs) So your dad married... Your mom's sister. Yes. My my parents split up. Okay. And my dad married my mother's sister. And, you know, it was kind of different for me. But anyways, they had went to Wendover, right? And we lived in a house at my dad's friend's house. And um, his my dad's friend's nephew was watching me and his cousins. 
And as everybody went to sleep, I was, I, I was always was the type that wanted to know more. Like I was always like, okay, well, this dude has tattoos. I'm, I look up to him. He swears he smokes cigarettes. Like that's the type of people that I always grew up looking up to. So I always wanted to hang out with him. You know, I always wanted to, I was trying to be somebody like that. Right. Well, I think he used that to his advantage and he asked me if I wanted to, you know, hang out and everybody was asleep. It was late at night. And I remember I go into the kitchen and, and, you know, he's drinking or whatever. And, and he asked me, he goes, do you, do you want to do what, what adults do? And I was like, well, yeah, like, of course, duh, you know, <laughs> a 10 year old that's curious like that, of course. Well, he calls me into the laundry room and he's sweating profusely. I remember that. And he reaches, well, actually he sets me on the dryer and he reaches up behind like this sun, the sun bleach box soap. I can remember it like in detail because of the situation. And he pulls two syringes out from behind the box of soap and, and he does what he needs to do. He shoots up and I'm sitting there like right in front of you, right in front of me. And like, at this point I was like, it was like fight or flight. Like, what should I do? What should I do? Mm -hmm. He just told me to calm down and he was talking really fast and everything. And I was like, okay, I I trust this guy. You know, I've been around him enough. So I trust him. Um, and then he says, well, let me see your arm. And I said, okay. So I gave him my arm and he's like, it's only going to hurt for a second. And I was like, uh, all right. You know, and he's, and he kept telling me like, your dad does this. It's okay. Your dad does this. It's okay. And I was like, all right, whatever. And like he pulled, well, he stuck the needle in and he pulled back and he shot me up. And all I could remember, like at the feeling of that point was like my heart was just racing. Well, you're, ten, you're 10 years old. Yeah. And it's probably an adult dose. Yeah. And not, and, you know, and it, and a 10 year old dose. It, well, you know what I mean? <laughs> so like, there so shouldn't like, ever be a 10 year old dose. Yeah. Sorry. So my entire body got really warm. I was just like, holy crap. And, and my heart started beating. I started sweating profusely and he starts to take off his shirt. And I was just like, okay, things are getting real weird. You know, I already feel weird. Like things are getting real weird. Takes off his shirt and I go to like leave and he told me to stay there and he pulled me back. And I, I was at this point, I was like under his full control. Oh, yeah. Um, just being under the influence like that. And so he starts to take off my pajamas and I'm just like, in my head, like if if I was conscious, if I could have been conscious, I'd have been like, "What are we gonna do? Laundry?" You know what I mean. But at, at that point, I, I I didn't know what was going on. So when he took off my clothes, he took off his, and he asked me to fondle him. You know, mm. and I and of course, like I was scared at this point. You know, and I remember like trying to pull away, and he had hit me upside the head. Um, was this and, one of your first experiences with like with another naked body? Even? Yeah. You know, yeah. cause it, it obviously was, it wasn't. I mean, I had walked in on my parents, like going to, they're in the shower, sure. going mm-hmm. to the restroom. Sure. And I just shut the door and sure. like, oops, I didn't need to see that, you know? Right. But this was one of my first experiences with anything type of sexual or anything. So I, I pull away and he hits me and immediately, like when you hit a kid, you think you're doing something wrong, you know? And mm-hmm. so that's where my mind went is like, oh crap, you know, I don't want to be the crap out of me. Cause I, I had known this guy for being like violent towards others and always coming home, being in fights and stuff. So I, I was in fear, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so that started happening. Well, then he started fondling me. And at this, this point, I'm just like, what in the hell and you're, is and you're going super, on? You're super high though too. Yeah, so you're and, probably yeah, enjoying yeah, it. Yeah. And, and I'm, and I, and I'm just like, 
I don't know whether to enjoy it because my right. body's telling ten. me like you're having a heart attack, dude. You know? Yeah. But at the same time, I was numb. You like totally numb to like anything that was going on. Like my mind was just gone. And and with with methamphetamines, it's 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 an upper, so you're like you're you're full of energy, you know. But but then put it into this like sexual situation, and 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 methamphetamine enhances like sexual senses. So th- you know so this I mean? was meth. I don't know if you mentioed that. Oh yeah, it was. Yeah, it was it was methamphetamine. Wow. Um, and I didn't obviously know what it was until later after growing up and kind of figuring connecting it out. the dots. But so that was my the, my first experience, and then I remember trying to like okay, dude, like I, he's like kissing me and stuff like that. And it didn't feel right to me. You know, mm-hmm. I was like, what the heck? Like, uh, this is not what I expected, you know? And then I remember him bending me over and raping me. And that, that right there was an experience where I think that God or whomever is out there took my mind away from that moment, you know, because they didn't want me to suffer through that pain, but I did. That's that's where things started to get a little bit blurry as far as that happening. But I remember I remember afterwards. So let, let's go a little bit forward to afterwards, right? Mm-hmm. I'm in my room and I'm bleeding, you know. I'm still high and I'm not quite grasping exactly what had just occurred. Like I'm in a I'm in a nightmare, wake me up, you mm-hmm. know, type of thing. Um, and he comes into my room and he's get, like screaming at me, like in my face. And he's like, if you tell anybody, I'll kill you. I'll kill your family. Well, at that point, like I really didn't give a shit about myself. You know, I was more worried about my family at that point. So I was like, dude, I'm not going to tell anybody. Um, and he says, do you want to see how easy it is for me to kill? And he reaches in my hamster's cage and grabs my hamster Rigby and squeezes it and kills it right in right there and then drops it in there. Well, I was in fear. Sure. I, was, I was like, holy crap. After that, my parents had came home and he actually said that I squeezed the rat. Wait, they, did your parents come home the same night? They, they came home like later, early in the morning. It was okay. probably like maybe six or seven in the sure. morning when they arrived. This had happened probably just three, three hours before. So you were still high probably I was, when your parents I was still high home. when my parents came home and all I could do was cry. And they were thinking that I was crying because I had killed my, my, my pet, yeah. you know, like they so, thought and you, I wasn't, and yeah. I, and I think he knew what he was doing when he did that because he's like, this guy's emotional. I know they're on their way home. I got to do something anyway. So, mm-hmm. so I, 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 my parents had asked me if I killed the rat. I just said, yes. I mean, the hamster, I just said, yes, at that point, you know, cause I didn't want this guy to freak out and kill anyone well uh, right. that the rest of that summer because i used to enjoy going to my uh my 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 dad's house i had like a little dirt bike that i'd ride around in his yard it was just just the people around me was different than when i was at my mom's where i just had to stay home and play with the guys across the street mm-hmm. you know i had more things to do but i didn't go back to my dad's for quite some time after that and uh he ended up getting my father ended up getting raided a month after all that had happened for drugs for drugs oh, wow. for drugs my dad was involved in some heavy drug trafficking stuff and and as well as the guy who who i'll call him b because yeah. we'll just leave him mm-hmm. anonymous so he, just a just a quick question so this happened when you're 10 years old yes. how old are you now just to give a little bit of context of time how I, long ago I that am was 30 years old so this was 20 years ago 20 years ago all here in utah this was all happening right here in yep. utah so i mean yep. it's safe to say utah has always had a drug problem absolutely 
And Absolutely. what do you, what are your thoughts? And we'll get back to this story, but yeah. I just, just for listeners, I want, I want people to understand that it's not just doves and roses in Salt Lake City and Absolutely. in Utah. I mean, we have a drug problem. You've been dealing with it for 20 years. Yes. And we're very good at suppressing it and not talking about it. Yeah. There's been a lot of, uh, so, so I, I started dealing drugs at a really young age. How old were you? Um, I started dealing drugs probably when I was 13 or 14. How did you even fall into that? I mean, how would a 13 or 14 year old say, this is what I'm going to do now? Um, so I sought attention from and validation from older people mm-hmm. after this had occurred. I kind of was in the mentality of kind of fight fire with fire. Um, so the guy who, who had done uh, my abuse, he was he was in like the drug game and the drug world and and he was affiliated with another gang and stuff like that. Well, I decided that I wanted I wanted to feel whole again because something was taken from me as a child. So I want to I want what that dude had, but I want more of it and I want more power. Mm-hmm. But the the thing is that with abuse is that usually people who's been abused they abuse people. Me, I ultimately wanted to kill that man for what he had did to me. So I was angry. So I was fueled by anger. And rightfully so. And um, so I got involved with with somebody who was a few years older than me. Um, he was like seven years older than me. And he happened to know the, my abuser. But I looked up to him because he was in like the music industry. And I never told anybody what happened to me until I was 21 years old, right? Uh, so I kept it a secret. Mm-hmm. Was that hard? When I, I had actually told the guy that I'm telling you about, the his name's Chad. But uh, he, when I had told him, I had broke down and I had just said, look, this is what happened to me. And he went into big brother mode. He's mm-hmm. just like, you need to tell your parents, I'm going to kill this guy. Like, And that was when you were 20, 21? Yes, yes. Yeah. And, and and he was in shock ultimately because he had hung with this guy for, for many, many years. Um, and it just so happens the guy got out of prison and I was at my friend's house and he came over and my, 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 he, I'm going to call him my brother. He's like my brother, Chad. He, uh, he had him come over. And I, first thing, the first thought I had in my head was the kids. There's kids around. This dude should not be anywhere near them. And the thing was, is I always played like this big, tough guy who had like this, this, this armor on. Right. Mm -hmm. But when I found, when he, he, when I seen his face again, I went right back to when I was a child, I had immediately teared up. And my friend's like, whoa, bro, what's wrong, you know? And I told him. I, I couldn't keep it a secret anymore. And that was, it was probably one of the hardest things to tell my parents, too. Because immediately, I mean, a parent is going to feel at fault for that. Right, a know? parent's going to be like, I should have known that. Yeah. And, yeah. But but me just trying to fight fire with fire and hanging with older people and building connections with older people, I was able to get my hands on a lot of different things, and and my brother Chad, he wasn't even like he's like, dude, you shouldn't be doing all this at your age. Like you should be doing something else. Um, so I had just gotten contacts with different people because I knew my brother wasn't gonna like throw me down. You know what I mm-hmm. mean? But I wanted more, and the way that I got more is I lied, I cheated, and I stealed. And that's ultimately how I got introduced to selling weed, basically with one of my cousins, and. It just kind of progressed from there. I started smoking a little bit of weed and then I was like getting that high feeling, but it wasn't the high that I had already had in with meth with meth. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this is weak sauce, you know, but I learned that drugs can mask anything. 
as as long as you are able to stay numb, you can numb anything with it. I I myself was like, okay, so weed weed to me wasn't a drug growing up, you know. Like that's what I said. Like weed is it's weak sauce, you know. If I wanted to numb out and forget everything, you'd really find so, something else. Yes, yeah. yeah. So then I started dabbling with cocaine, and dabbling with cocaine it obviously numbs you physically, but mentally it does as well. But it's just so quick, and it's just so profitable if you're able to sell that stuff. So I started to sell it to my friends and I started to gain money. Right? Where were you selling? Like here in Salt Lake? Here in like, were you going to clubs? I or, was going or? to school. Okay. I was going How to school. How old were you I was selling coke, man? Uh, I was 15, 16 years old at the time when I started wow. selling cocaine. And I, I had been in trouble with the law here and there. I, I, I think my very first charge was vandalism charge as a juvenile. And it was just me being a reckless kid, you know? But then, then my second charge ended up being like a burglary because I broke into a place to try to hang out with all my friends. Mm-hmm. And somebody told on me and said it was me. And ultimately, I got punished for it. So, and, and believe it or not, even in the juvenile justice system, it's just as, as like the, the adult system, drugs are readily available. In the jail yeah, system. And, and, and especially like in the juvenile system, at least back then, Parents were bringing it in for the kids because oh, that's wow. the only person that you can have contact with is your parents. So they would go on visits, you know, and you could hide it in in your underwear or wherever you wanted to hide it because they do search you after a visit, but they don't search everything. Sure, you know. And how long? So so how long were you in juvie for? If we put all that time together, so I so I, on and off just on and off, off, yeah, on and off. So let's say I went to juvie probably about fifteen years old. I want to say probably about a total of maybe a year to two years. So most of my teenage years. Did, uh, maybe this is, maybe we shouldn't ask this on a podcast where people sneaking drugs in for you or what? Uh, no, we, don't, we don't have to give names No, or my, anything, my, but. my parents never stuck drugs in for me, but I had convinced them to bring chew in. You know what I mean? Mm. I need some tobacco. A little like, dip, huh? Yeah. Well, just and I'm sure they're dip. like, well, it's just tobacco. You know I mean? Yeah. 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 What, let's, and, and sorry to interrupt your story there. I you're just want to get, I just want to get a little bit of this, man. Cause I want to understand this. So you're. 15, 16 years old. So you start selling weed at like 13, 14. Yes. Then it progresses to Coke. Yes. 15, 16. And it's funny. I said like clubs. I mean, you weren't even old enough to get into clubs. Yeah. Were your parents, did your par- parents have any idea you were selling this stuff? Um, No. Did they have any idea you were doing drugs? <laughs> they had a great idea. I was doing drugs. I was on probation, juvenile probation, and I would get tested and I would come up dirty, obviously. Because you just didn't care. Yeah. And, and there was a point where, because so my, my mom married another man, right? We lived at my grandmother's house. And in my grandmother's eyes, uh, you know, God rest her soul, I never could do any wrong, you know, mm-hmm. good or bad. I, grandma's house is grandma's house. And we lived in her basement um, because her husband had died and she needed somebody to take care, take care of her, her other son which uh, had diabetes and had his leg amputated. So I was always around like the medical field. Okay, you know? right. You were, um, you were comfortable with needles and help. Yeah, exactly. You know? yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. yeah. But I had learned to make a bladder at a really young age. And, and what a bladder is, is it basically is you get uh, a bag, right? Get an IV bag. Let's say it's an IV bag. Mm-hmm. And you can fill it up with warm water, right? And you could put food coloring in it, whatever, what have you. Well, I learned at that age because I had all the supplies that I could make a bladder. Well, that only worked for so long. Um, for when, testing, right? Yeah, Just, for testing, yeah. Because yeah. okay. my PO would test me all the time. Well, then they started the the drop your pants 
thing where you have to actually drop your pants to your ankles and they watch you urinate. So I kind of got busted and I had to do a little like a weekend of detention for that, you know. Did you ever strap urine on your leg? Yeah, that's exactly yeah. what it was. But what I would do is I'd put the bag under my armpit, yeah. right? And I would use like an ace bandage and I'd wrap it around my body. And then that's a good one. I, why did I ever think that? <laughs> right. And then I would get a, a, like a, one of those paper, like it's like a paper clip basically. And I would clip the end of that bladder and I just have it perfectly cut to my knee. So when I would pull up, I obviously would look like there's nothing there. And I just pulled that little paper clip out and it worked for quite some time. Well, I ended up getting, I guess you could say raided. Basically, my mom had called the cops on me and was like, this kid is up to something. He's stealing my pills. And, and my mother, she she is an addict herself. And she, you know, abused her, her meds. Mm-hmm. And I used that to my advantage. Um, so I started stealing her Xanax and stuff like that and and using them. And Were you selling them too? Yeah, I was selling those too. And the, the crazy thing is, so I had, I, my mom has epilepsy mm-hmm. and as do I. And they would prescribe prescribe you Xanax. And even at, as a child, I was on an adult dosage um, for my seizures. And I learned what they did to me because they gave me that mask, that that numbing sensation if I took more. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and, you would forget about all that prior yeah. childhood childhood yeah, drugs it's just because was that constantly haunting you um yeah i would say it was because I, I i had built a hate for him and what he had did to me i had built an ultimate fire within that that he he was the scum of the earth. like you kind of built your identity around yeah exa- being angry at him and exactly kind of fixating yeah exactly and and of course you know being a kid and, and experiencing all of that stuff and then having to put on this shell and now coming out of it like, okay, so so right now I'm two and a half years sober, you know? And and coming out of it, I'm just like, holy crap, like what have I done to myself? You know, I've ultimately, for a while there, I'd ultimately had a lot of regrets on the things that I had done and the, my experiences and stuff like that. But I couldn't I couldn't let my past define me any longer. So now I I, I live in the present which is, has ultimately been helping me throughout my recovery. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Mark Miller Subaru. Remember, when you support our sponsors, you are directly supporting this podcast. In true Subaru fashion, Mark Miller Subaru isn't afraid to take the road less traveled. That's why Mark Miller Subaru is honored to be Utah's only negotiation-free Subaru retailer. Mark Miller Subaru's exclusive negotiation-free program is called Promise Price. All vehicles sold at Mark Miller Subaru are competitively priced, so customers know that they are getting an exceptional deal. Everyone, regardless of who you know, you're going to pay the same price. The price you see is the price you pay. Mark Miller Subaru is committed to revolutionizing the car buying experience. By offering people a transparent, competitive, and honest price up front, Mark Miller Subaru can focus on providing you with a fun and memorable experience instead of one of those gnarly, tainted negotiations. Mark Miller Subaru has two convenient locations for you to visit. There's Mark Miller Subaru Midtown, which is at 3535 South State Street in Salt Lake City. This is the one that Chris and I personally use for our Subaru needs. And Mark Miller Subaru Southtown at 10920 State Street in Sandy. Hey, go test drive a Subaru today. I already know that you're going to love it because I couldn't imagine living here in Utah without our Subaru Impreza. 
it's gotten us out of some sticky situations that I know a regular Joe car would not have been able to handle. So again, go visit them at their Midtown or Southtown locations. And of course, many thanks to Mark Miller Subaru for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by the Salt Lake Barber Company. Remember, when you support one of our sponsors, you are directly supporting this podcast. Hey, the Salt Lake Barber Company is located at 10 East 800 South, right on the corner of 8th and Main. They offer haircuts, beard trims, straight razor shaves. Full disclosure, Isaac over there, he's been cutting my hair. Gosh, it's been been a while. It's been maybe a couple of years. He does a bang-up job. I love this guy. Hey, they are a true community barbershop. They focus on providing the best work environment possible and allowing barbers to always provide the highest quality experience while in the chair. They do take walk-ins if they're available, but why not just book a time really easy on their website, saltlakebarberco.com. It's really easy to do. You just go on there. You select the service you want. You select the barber. You put it on your calendar and you go in and you get yourself a nice haircut. Again, haircuts, beard trim, straight razor shaves, the Salt Lake Barber Company, their website, saltlakebarberco.com. Many thanks to the Salt Lake Barber Company for sponsoring this episode. Let's get back into that conversation with Cody Egbert. Thanks for listening. So you got busted for drugs. Yeah. Throwing, because this is, I kind of want to paint, maybe not paint a picture, but I want listeners to understand that there's something, in my opinion, wrong with a lot of this pictures of, of just throwing drug addicts right in prison. Mm-hmm. Like the way Instead of getting them help. Yeah. Right? Do you think something else should be done but, uh, than arresting drug addicts? Absolutely. So um, I'm, I'm no stranger to the, the, the justice system, oh, like sure. I said. So f- this could go all the way back to when I was a kid, too, because- at 15 years old, my mom had my house raided, right? And I, and I had gotten busted with, with dope and, um, I had went to detention and in there I fought people. I, I did whatever and I kind of gained trust, right? Wait, where were you fighting at school or at uh, juvie? No, in juvie. Okay. And I had gained trust with the other guys around me and drugs were there. Mm-hmm. It's just about who, you know, you know, and they were there. Going to the the adult system, there was more drugs. As long as you had money, you had drugs. So I think, and and I, and I've never been to you know the the state penitentiary, but I have been into places that are just as bad. Like Davis County Jail is a federal institution. Really? Yes, they have federal inmates there, and you can only imagine the drugs that are coming in and out of that place. There's overdoses that happen on a daily basis. You got people that are bringing in syringes that have been used from five to ten different people. So now not only is there a drug issue, but there's a disease issue with hepatitis C. You know, so it, it kind of expands more. In rehabilitation, I have found myself, you know, and and ultimately it's taken me a few times to actually get, you know, through this and, and actually be willing to take this rehabilitation seriously. Because, of course, there's going to be a lot of people that, oh, hey, I want to stay out of jail, right? They stay out of jail, they go to rehab, and then they mess up again. But if you're able to actually want this rehabilitation and take it seriously, it could change your life. Now, now this, in my, just in my opinion, 
Um, these aren't facts. These are just my opinions. But the justice system or, or the judicial system wanting to lock people up for drugs, and that goes selling drugs, using drugs, because if you sell, you use. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of the way of the game. People don't really realize that we use drugs because there's something wrong with us. Drugs is just a, a, a coping mechanism. Right? right. There's something wrong with me. That's why I use drugs. And that's why I'm a drug addict. Right. I'm and the, to the level the of uh, nonviolent drug related incarcerations is through the roof. Absolutely. And it's people who really, for the most part, just need help. Exactly. Exactly. And and it, it, it's crazy because just as of recently, they're starting to get people with a lower income. Right. That are able to actually receive treatment. And that's that. That's the people that actually need that treatment. I mean, I, I and I, me working in 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 treatment as I do now, I see that there's a lot of privileged people, right? That that have a little bit of money in their pocket, and they're able to go through treatment. And it it's it's a lot quicker than how somebody would if they were coming from where I did, like Rose Park, and they're they're out here on the streets homeless. But there's a lot of di- cool things that are in the works. Like I actually am. And working for some of the, well, one of the com- uh, companies or, or, or treatment centers, it's a recovery community based and we take the lower, the low incomes and the, they think lower incomes, but higher risk. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. And that's how I was always viewed as lower income, higher risk. I had been to two different treatment centers. One of the treatment centers that I had actually went to was like all big and glamorous and beautiful, but then... I started to receive drugs from some of the staff there because they're human too. And yes, money talks, but they knew a way to make money. So they were providing drugs to us. Well, I was like, I could do this myself out on the street. So I had left. Well, somebody actually had overdosed and died there. And then the federal government actually raided them. And that was just a few years back before I had actually gotten sober. Oh, wow. We have some questions from our Facebook group. I want to get into it in just a moment here, Cody, but I want to find out what was it that finally... The tipping point? Yeah, the tipping point, man, that you're like, because you said you're two and a half years clean, which congratulations on that, man. I'm sure every day is still a battle for Mm -hmm. you. Absolutely. What's keeping you clean and what made you want to get clean, Okay, so um, it was, um, was, okay, so maybe a little bit under two and a half years, but it was March 27th, I mean, March 21st of 2017. I'll keep saying two and a half, man. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. so so it was was March 21st, 2017, and and basically I had been on the run from uh, adult probation and parole. And I was choosing to be homeless because I didn't want my family to get in any legal trouble. I was living from motel room to motel rooms, just selling, stealing, doing all here in the Salt Lake all, area, right? Yeah. This, this is from here all the way to 146th downtown to 146th was where I was going. And I was hotel hopping basically. And the, some hotels out here don't really care what you do. But anyway, I, I had gotten kicked out of a hotel room for, for having too many people coming in and out. So I had nowhere to go. So I was out here on the block and I was very familiar with, with people out there and uh, I got hooked up and I was sick. Just And when I say sick, heroin is, is something that takes you to a place of physical like depth of hell. Like, I mean methamphetamine takes you to and diminishes your your health but you get so physically dependent on heroin that you cannot function and you will do damn near anything to achieve to get your next to, fix. to get that right 
So ultimately I got hooked up and I was supposed to sell the, these drugs for so-and-so, right? Um, so I had drugs on me. I had called, I had called a friend of mine and I was like, Hey, can you come pick me up? Like I need to get well is what we call it. And all that good stuff. Well, she had went into the gas station and I had starting, starting to like come out of my sickness. I started to be a little bit more aware and noticed that there was cars that, that resembled adult probation and parole. Hmm. And then I, I was paranoid, obviously. Well, she got into the vehicle and, uh, little did we know that I was being watched and, and the cops came up on me and they had pulled me out of the car and, and, I had drugs on me. Her, she had just take brought her kids into the car. So now that I had gotten oh, in no. trouble with a child endangerment charge because I had drugs on myself, but she had brought the kids into the car. So I'd gotten another charge on top of that. Anyway, I go to jail and I, and I look and, and I, and I look like hell. Okay. Like we're talking, I weigh like 235 pounds right now. I probably went in there weighing 123 pounds. Mm, wow. Um, my skin was all picked out and everything but I had looked in the the mirror that had a bunch of scratches on it right and I looked in that mirror and I just said I don't want to be an addict anymore how, how can I do this and and at that point to me in my mind like I had already been through treatment and been ultimate fail like fails you know across the board and like you felt like there was really no way yeah I felt that there was no way out basically yeah. so uh I had waited until they did tray pass right and and there's, like I said, there's drugs in there and I had gotten some drugs. Did from you say tray pass? Tray pass. So that's when they call like, it's like 630 in the morning and they bring trays and they just slide them into this little okay. door. Okay. So I, I, and I didn't even eat it, you know, I just left like it Like food, right? Yeah. And, okay. and they have to come collect the trays. So they come collect the trays. Well, I get past some, some heroin, you know, cause obviously I know people in there, it's easy to obtain. And I am so mad at myself because this is what I wanted. I'm now putting a drug before even food, hmm. you know, and that's how your survival instinct goes when you, when you're a heroin addict, you'll put it before sex, food, water, shelter, anything. So I, uh, did what I had to do, but I didn't get high. I got mad at myself. So I waited for them to come collect the trays. I had, I tied two sheets together. And if you look at a bunk bed in a jail cell, there's holes on the top of the bunks. And I had tied two knots and I had, I had the sheet sag basically. Well, I started twisting the sheet and I put it around my neck and I did three somersaults and sat down on my hands and lifted up my feet. When I say sat down on my hands, I just linked them together and they were under my butt, you know, so I was just swinging there. And then I had woke up and when I woke up, I had nothing but nurses and cops all by me. They're doing a bunch of things to my sternum. And I didn't feel any pain at that point, you know? Um, and then I had went back out. Well, then I had woke up again and there was a tube in my throat and then they put me right back out. Then I yet woke up again and the feeling of hope, I guess you could say, came, came running through me like, I hope I make it through this. But ultimately, just maybe a few hours, maybe even a few days ago, I wanted to die. Mm -hmm. So something had sparked in me like, I don't have to do this anymore. Like you you went past the edge where you, and then you came back. Yeah. And, yeah. and something, there was drive in me, you know, and when that drive had hit me, I wanted, I wanted more from myself. I wanted more for myself. And the only way to obtain it is to go get it at this point. So that's when I had that, it's called a spiritual awakening. 
if anybody's familiar with AA or CA or any of the A's out there, it talks about this spiritual awakening where you realize that you've reached the bottom and now it's time to come up. Um, so that's the best way I can explain when I knew I had to do something different. Yeah. And I wasn't, and I wasn't craving drugs. I wasn't craving alcohol. All I wanted was, I, I was present and all I wanted was to get better. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, congratulations again you. on two and a half years. And yeah. I want to get more into that. I, there's some questions, though, that I think will open up some questions that I kind of wanted to ask you anyways from our okay. Facebook group. And I wanted to make sure to at least acknowledge a few of these questions. Absolutely. Just because these are rad listeners of the show. And I think they're good questions. Uh, the first one's from Courtney. Uh, she says, as someone who has drug addicts in my family, what is something I can do to help with their recovery? Is it all a personal journey or does outside help really make a difference? And we were kind of talking about recovery right now. Outside help, um, as far as, as far as enabling doesn't make a difference, right? But outside help, just loving them and, and letting them know on a day to day basis that you're there and that you love them. Now, uh, most of the time of us as addicts, when we try to get our lives back on track, we don't necessarily have all the tools that, that we can to get our lives back on track, but having outside help, somebody helping you to go get bed sheets for a bed if you're going into like a sober living or, or groceries, just something to that extent. I wouldn't say hand anybody 20 bucks, but I would say go out and do something nice and, and help them that they actually need with something they actually need and just loving them. The ultimate thing is loving them. You know, I, I've known a handful of drug addicts through my time here on, on earth. One thing I've discovered though, and maybe, maybe this is just my own perception. It seems like what made them get clean was their family turning their back to them, was their friends turning their back to them though. And, and basically they had nobody. And so I don't know. I mean, you're kind of saying that that doesn't work. For, uh, well, for I, I, I think I see kind of what you're both saying because there's a huge problem with when you love people yeah. uh, accidentally enabling them yes. and giving them too much leeway and, and allowing yourself to not see what's actually happening. Yeah. Well, cause Absolutely. they like, they'll steal from their family. They'll take, you know, For the sure. bicycle to the pawn shop, their mm-hmm. mom's wedding yeah. ring to the pawn shop yeah. just to buy their next fix. Yes. You know? yes. But sometimes loving them is setting those boundaries where you're like, you're not allowed to come in my house, but I love you. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Like, or, or even tough love. So, so, I wouldn't say fortunately, but my parents have been through addiction and, and still still are. But let's put myself in, in, in my shoes, actually. My parents are out there living motel to motel, right? Still. And still, yeah. And I and and rather than me giving them money that and, and getting them a place to stay or whatever, I'll just give them a call or whatever it takes, you know. But now they're starting to get healthier and now we help each other. So that, that's how it was in the beginning was just like, hi, mom, I'm okay. I'm still sober. Are you guys doing good? How's dad? Yada, yada, yada. But now we actually help each other because they're getting a little bit more stable. Um, I've also been, I've also had people just write me off completely. Um, people that I actually considered family because I had lied and I'd stole from them. And now that I've been sober, I've been actually able to make a, an amends with them. Like, these are the things that I did. What can I do to pay it back? And all they want to me to do is succeed. But just loving them, but not enabling them. And yeah, of course, people who don't understand the disease are going to get some may understand it, but some also may just wash their hands because they don't understand the disease itself. 
Another question here from a listener of the show that was asked in our Facebook group, which I invite everybody just search. I am Salt Lake community on Facebook and that will send you to our Facebook group. Uh, But Jenny wants to know, I would love to hear his take on the homeless situation. Does he have suggestions for programs that can have a positive impact? And I know this is a little bit out of your realm, but you were homeless for a while. Yes. And would you say, well, let's, let's even talk a little bit on homeless. I mean, would you say most of the homeless here in uh, Salt Lake City have drug addictions, drug uh, problems? Absolutely. So absolutely. does, do you have any suggestions for programs? That yes. Could- so, so there's a, there's a few programs out there. The VOA, um, they actually out here in just downtown, they actually help a lot of people like that. But most, and, and it's unfortunate, but most uh, people, they say they want the help, but they just want to reset. And what a reset is, is basically, okay, I haven't eaten for a good 30 days. You know, I haven't had a place to sleep for a good 30 days. And then you, they get to that point of, well, okay, well, now I've slept and I feel good. Okay, I'm ready for another run, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and I've actually, so I, I'm actually part of a, a, a thing that I created. It's called Never Give Up. Um, I've been a part of some other groups in the past, but this is something I have created myself. And, and, and in doing that, I've actually went out and I've offered to help, you know, some of the homeless out there and a lot of them. And this is just from their perspective are comfortable of living the way that they are on the streets. Yeah. On the streets, because somebody had actually told me, I don't have a job. I don't need a job. All I can do is just walk up the street and go to the church and get some food. Mm-hmm. And then that goes back to that enabling part, mm-hmm. right? But if you turn your back on these people, they're going to lose their lives. Right. There, Like I said, there is some good programs, but it's all about the person individually wanting the help to do it. And then after the VOA, the VOA actually helps and points you in the right direction for treatment, such as, you know, uh, uh, one that's just came up that I'm actually a part of is Warrior Spirit, where they take that low-income uh, insurance, that, that TAM, that Medicaid, and help people get better. Have you heard of the Other Side Academy? Other Side Academy is a great program. I actually was going to go there oh, one really? time, and I went there loaded, and they didn't mm-hmm. like that too much. Um, but now, being a part of these groups, I've actually referred people to the Other Side Academy. Dave over there, the guy who's pretty much runs the place, they've created something beautiful because it's ultimately things with addiction just isn't about the addiction. It's obviously the behavior, mm-hmm. right? And they focus on a lot of of, of the behavior there. Um, and and correcting the behavior, and I think the other side academy is just a. Just a they're the ones that moved us, right? Yeah, we yeah. From I've, Taylorsville to downtown. I've kind of made a, a conscious effort whenever we need to move or do anything. I I want to hire the other side movers. They do an amazing job. Yeah, like they, and, you know, and, and those are some guys uh, and girls who've had nothing, mm-hmm. and they've been able to correct their behavior. And I'm pretty sure if you've ever, if you, if you had some experience with them, they're polite. Oh, they're so they, polite. They're so helpful. I offered them like a beer, and they didn't and even. Friendly. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't even want my beer. No, man. You know, so if anybody's, and they're not even sponsored, and they and they podcast, have a thrift shop, so, yeah. you can so you can donate su- things. Go to- support them if you're moving. Yeah. yeah, probably just within Salt Lake here. They probably. Don't help people move sure. out of state. I, 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 you can maybe, call them. Maybe they're for the super right. and, the, and the cool thing is, is they obviously when people are moving, they people get a lot of different uh, things where they don't want even want some of their stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, the other side academy actually has like a thrift store. Yeah. Um, what, do you they, know where's that at? I, I believe it's um, just it's here on state. Here. It's just uh, I think it's around Forty Fifth. Don't don't oh, quote yeah, me yeah, on yeah. that. No, you're right. I know yeah. exactly where it is. It's, if if you're heading on State Street uh, South, I think it's like right. On the same or on the, the the west side of the street before you hit the DI there yeah. on the forty five. Yeah. 
I got to talk to you about marijuana and legalization. Okay. Man. What are your thoughts? And if you don't want to talk about this, it's fine. Okay. But a listener wanted to know your thoughts. I want to know your thoughts. I want to know your thoughts even on marijuana being a gateway drug. Okay. Do you feel it's a gateway drug? I feel that marijuana is not a gateway drug. Um, I also feel that it, it can be used as a drug sure. depending on the depending on the person and, and their behaviors, right? And what they're using it for. And food can be used as a drug too. Exactly. You know? Food I mean, can be used as a drug. I mean, yeah. working out can be used as a drug. And these right. are things that are healthy for they're you, They're all right? coping mechanisms. Um, so personally, in my experience, I've, I've in, in my own experience, I've never used marijuana as a drug. I've used it uh, like, okay, as an abusive drug. Let's put it that way. I have used it to self-medicate myself because medications are drugs. So we're going to go back and forth, but I've used it for, for my seizures mm. in, in the past, which I had went a long streak without having seizures. Um, I had also used it for bipolar disorder, um, mood stabilization. Um, and, and obviously we know the more terminal things that, that, that it could be used for as well as pain. If you guys would have known me a few years ago, I had really bad, bad teeth, and I would use marijuana to actually cope with that pain. Because um, your teeth were in constant c- c- pain? Because my p- teeth were in constant pain, and I was in the middle of fighting court cases, so I was off the heroin. Mm-hmm. But I always went back to trying to figure something to try to correct it and fix it. Obviously, me being a, a, an opioid addict, I, uh, I've realized that there's alternatives, right? I could take a, I could take a Tylenol and an ibuprofen in it, in it and it helps the pain just as, as good as an Oxycontin does, you know? That's if you're looking for that, just the pain to go away. But if you're looking for that other little the extra, yeah, thing, yeah. And, and, and to feel that, then obviously that's something that's not good for you. But the legalization of marijuana, I feel, is, is, is something that could change not only this state, right? Mm-hmm. But this entire nation and it could build. You're, obviously, we're going to have some people out there that are abusing it and using it for, for recreational purposes. And that's their business, not my business, you know? But what my business is, is if I could use it to, to help with my back pain, if I could, if I could use it so I can get off, you know, three different pills. Currently, I, I don't use marijuana, okay, because I'm on, I'm on adult probation and parole. Because you're still on probation. Cause I'm, yeah, because yeah, I'm still on probation. And, and the, the unfortunate thing is, is I'm on this thing. I was on this stuff called lithium, which ultimately, as I was at work, I had an episode with because it was building up in my system and the levels got toxic, right? Um, and then, you know, there's like the gabapentin and, and that, that's not even a narcotic, you know, but it also can be abused and kill you. So I, I think that there's a lot of different things that, that, and benefits from cannabis that could change a lot of people's lives as well as help people with terminal illness, you know? And I, and I, and I also, I don't know if this would actually be something that, that would be true, but I also think the crime and, and the jails wouldn't be so full because then they can make room for the serious charges and people rather than locking somebody up for having some pot. So you don't think, right. you don't think, okay, let's, let's hypothetically say Utah legalized weed, okay. marijuana, okay, right? Just recreational reasons. Yeah. Do you think that that would just 
turn everybody into drug addicts and absolutely. start start smoking meth and shooting up heroin. <laughs> well, is everybody Abs- an alcoholic because net. alcohol's legal? <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah. I mean, it's... But, uh, and uh, that's, that's what I, you know, because yeah. I know so many people. Now, I understand people that did have a meth problem or had a heroin problem. I understand. You, maybe you have to stay away from it, right? Yeah. I, I've known people that they, yeah. they can't even smoke a joint once in a yeah. while, right? Yeah. I get that. But... It, at the same time, it's 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 safer than alcohol. Yeah, and yet it's illegal. Yeah, and I just think something's wrong. Something's wrong with our whole system. I, and to, to I, I just think, throw I, these I, drug addicts in jail. I think people fear something that they just don't understand because well, yeah, nobody yeah. knows. You nobody know? knows. Here's something. Here's just a little bit of my experience. When I was smoking weed, yeah, I was selling weed. Why? Because it was illegal and I could make money off of sure. it. Sure. Mm-hmm. Boom. There's yeah. a crime right there, right? But when I was using weed, I wasn't using coke. Because they're the exact opposite high. When I was using weed, I wasn't using meth because obviously that's not the high that I wanted. So I wanted to use meth. When I was using heroin, never would mix the two ever because of it makes you really down, like you can't function. So I wouldn't even use marijuana when I was using these other drugs that I had became so to physically, mentally, and 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 I guess you could say dependent on, you know? Mm-hmm. I always tried to just stay away from weed when I was using that. And there would be a time where I would be selling weed and I'd be smoking meth, <laughs> you know, because the, 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 the people wanted weed. Mm-hmm. So then I'd just be smoking meth and selling weed, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't never mix the two. Did you ever sell harder drugs like meth? Well, you said oh, Coke. Yeah, I guess oh, you yeah. sold Coke. I sold Coke. Um, as, as my story goes on, I started to sell every drug that I used, right? I would, I would sell the Xanax and I would, and I would sell uh, the meth and I would sell sell heroin. Doing that, like now that I'm sober, I probably had had people that I had sold to that had overdosed and died. And that's something that I may have to live with. I don't know, you know, mm-hmm. but it's unfortunate and it's and it's but it's just facts. You know, if you're out there selling stuff and you're not knowing what's in this stuff and you're killing people, you might want to check yourself at the door mm-hmm. because you don't know what you're getting yourself into. Well, and that's the thing with, I know that we do discuss um, the legalization of drugs fairly often, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah. And I mean, I, I don't see why it's not a good idea because there would probably still be somewhat of a black market because it would add taxes and regulation, whatever, but it would at least be a safer alternative for people. You know, yeah. you at least know what you're getting or, you know, my, my it's thing, a more controlled environment, right? My thing, I think... M- people would ask for help a little easier because yeah. I'm sure there's a lot not, of people that not get afraid. addicted to drugs, but yeah. a lot of times they don't know who to turn to, who to tell. Exactly. A lot of times their own spouse doesn't even. Well, if you try yeah. to go get help, you can just get arrested. Exactly. You know what I mean? It's so, ridiculous. So what, what's actually been an eye opener for me in the past is me selling heroin, right? And heroin is just a, just an alternative to Oxycontin, Percocet, Percodin, all that, all those opioids that, Doctors were just handing out, oh, Oxycontin, non-addictive, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's, it just boggles my mind, ultimately. But then you get the people that have got that taken away from them because now all, all of a sudden uh, we're starting to be calling, calling Big Pharma on their shit. You know what I mean? And now when we do that, they're starting to like take it away and, and manage it. Well, then you get people um, like, like even from the LDS community, okay? Mm-hmm that was suffering through pain had that has became physically dependent on an opioid. Right. 
And now they're seeking other ways to get it, right? Which is illegal, right? And then which comes to the heroin, right? There has been people in my past that I have actually, I guess you can say, illegally sold to. But in my mind, I justified it as, oh, I'm just helping this person out. And in their mind, they're just like, I'm just trying to get normal. Like, I don't do this. This is like freaking me out. Like, I'm not a drug addict. I'm not a drug addict. I just need to get normal so I can make it through my day tomorrow. So when you were selling them heroin, you knew that they were part of the the religious community. Absolutely. Right here in in Salt Lake City, man. And and the way that I was, that I got introduced to these people was just on a fluke, you Mm -hmm. know? Mm -hmm. Uh, Somebody pulled up beside me and I'm walking, you know, it's late at night. I'm walking. They're just getting off work. They asked me if I needed a ride. You get to talking, right? Hey, by chance, can you get any pills? You know, it's just like it strikes conversation. I mean, there's been time and and Uber and Lyft are great, right? <laughs> but let me just tell you what me using those those as 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 ways to get to where I needed to go. Then you start finding out things about the Uber driver, right? Mm. And then ultimately, you're paying the Uber driver in drugs to take you to where you need to go. So it's off the books, you know. Mm-hmm. They don't need to be. You know, they're, they're not, they're my driver. They're no, no longer Uber's drivers. They're off the clock on Uber and they're, they're on the clock on Cody. (laughs) You know what I mean? And that's inevitably human nature, you know, no matter what it, like, it's not, it doesn't say anything about Uber or Lyft, right? Specifically, it's just, we as humans tend to find it easy to rationalize the situations that we find ourselves in. Absolutely. Absolutely. Or, and, and then you got that person that's trying to make money for their family, right? Mm -hmm. I've known drug dealers that don't even use. They, mm. they 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 won't even touch this stuff. Breaking Bad. Uh, exactly. Did you ever watch Breaking Bad? Yeah, you seen it? Yeah, I've seen Breaking Bad. Is that pretty off spot on? It's 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 right on the money, I yeah. can tell you that much. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it's it's spot on. And and the thing is is people are going to try to I mean, the jobs out here, right? We need more jobs. And if mm-hmm. it, let's say they do legalize cannabis, that's going to bring you know more more financial revenue for the state and not only that, but the nation, right? And it's going to provide some more jobs out there mm-hmm. and more job opportunities. And we need to so. legalize the growing here immediately because if we just legalize it and we don't have the capability to produce it, we'll ask we're Oregon. Not be... They got too much. <laughs> Here's a, Can I we wa- get a loan? There you go. <laughs> I want to touch on, before we completely run out of time here, mm-hmm. I know we're going to, I'm going to have to just bring you back through here, Cody. Okay. Um, what are... Especially, okay, we're, we're parents, right? Yeah. Chrissy and I, we have four kids, right? Let's use that as an example. What what are warning signs for kids to know, hey, my kids are on drugs? Like uh, if you're, if we're parents. Like, well, what are the, the things that you should look for to, to see if your kid's actually starting to cross over into a dangerous yeah. situation? Okay. I would, uh, for first, I would love your child, like, and, and be as, get as much information from them as possible, right? Like you can... But you can't be with them 24-7. Mm-hmm. But what you can see is their sleeping pattern, right? Hmm. If they are sleeping too much or too little or... That's hard, act, though, because yeah, kids... I mean, yeah, I slept a lot as a yeah, boy. Yeah. You know, growing. I yeah, sleep a lot yeah. now. So like, like, I'm, I'm saying like maybe like 16 years old, right? And they're just yeah. sleeping all For day. days. Yeah. That yeah. would be a warning sign that they're on de- something like a downer or okay. something, right? Um, obviously, with alcohol, you know, slurred speech, um, um, the way they smell... Obviously, but if you're their parent, you're going to notice those things pretty spot on, but it's the silent things that's a killer. So you may think that your child is just going to the bathroom, right? But they could be looking in your medicine cabinet or they could be trying to cook up some heroin, right? And they're just in there a long time. In the bathroom? Yeah. And the shower's just on and you're thinking that they're in the shower. 
watch the behavior after that. If you're thinking that they've been in there a little too long, just watch the behavior after mm-hmm. that. Because it could be something like that, like something right before bed. Then this is what I would do too, because this is how I thought. I would go use right before bed, right? And it would just look like something normal. Oh, he's showering before bed. He's been in there a long time, but he's probably okay. Mm-hmm. Probably just, you know, yeah. a teenage boy. Exactly. Yeah, you do not want to call your exactly. teenage boy on spending too much time in the shower because <laughs> yeah. that just gets uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> so that that's something that I was what I would do is because us as humans, we want to manipulate the situation. And mm-hmm. if we're trying to get away with something, we're going to do the best that we can. But they're friends. Friends is a huge thing. Mm-hmm. If you know they're friends... You, you're going to know your child yeah. because people are who they surround themselves with. Yeah. And and that's probably the biggest thing that, that I would say is, is friends. If you find out that your kid is doing drugs um, or if you have a good suspicion, yeah, really good, would you confront them? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Um, I would make them aware. Obviously, in in the community that we live in, oh my son's on pot, you know, <laughs> my son's on pot and he's gonna he's gonna burn he wants down to make spaghetti in the morning. Exactly, <laughs> I would yeah. I would I would tell him or her, look, I've experienced with this. This is my experience with this. I would ask you not to bring it in my house, nor and I would also ask that you don't even use it. But ultimately, we cannot control everything. Mm-hmm. You know, they're probably still going to use it now. Methamphetamine. Or or heroin, I would try to seek some juvenile help immediately because if you don't, it only takes less than thirty days for them to be full blown like physically addicted to straight those up things. addicted to it. Yeah, like mm-hmm. full blown like I need this. This helps me in school. This helps me with that. So so going back real quick to the that survival instinct, mm-hmm. right? So t- things that humans say that they need to pr- uh, to survive is food, right? Sex. Water and shelter, right? I, there may be another one in there. What I what what heroin did to me is it put heroin, right? Because in my in my in my midbrain, it was it was there's these receptors, right? And it's like constantly hitting those receptors. And as it's hitting those receptors, I'm getting that that like okay. So if I if I go in the mountains, right, and a bear attacks me, am I going to have that that willpower to go out and 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 try to survive? That's what the same receptors that you're hitting constantly with opiates, right? So being an opiate addict, I go out into the woods and I get attacked by a bear. I'm giving up. There's no hope for me. But when I start to replace uh, food, sex, you know, shelter, all of that stuff, and, and, and I just put heroin first, that's what I'm going to do is I'm going to steal from my family. I'm going to steal from my girlfriend. I'm going to lie. I'm going to steal your car so I could go get it. I'm going to ask you for money. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And it just takes over your entire life. So if you, if you are experiencing any type of, type of, uh, opioid addiction with your children or, or even meth, please seek help immediately because it only takes less than 30 days for them to come, have them have that replaced to be completely dependent on it for functionality. Yep. To be completely dependent. It's probably a lot more popular amongst the youth here in Salt Lake city than we even probably realize. Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. So I, uh, I was hanging out with people that were five, maybe six years younger than me. And the thing is, is the people that I hung out with were five and six years older than me. Right. So let's say I'm, I'm 20 years old. Well, you got 16 year olds that are buying meth. Mm-hmm. 
16 year olds buying meth and that's how it was with the generation before me i was buying from them it starts very young it's it can start very 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 young you do a facebook group never give up you were talking yes. about that so is that also yeah. like a group outside of facebook uh yeah so it, we're i'm actually just starting to get it up and running again i had created it a couple years ago and then i had joined some other groups and got really involved with them um but then now i've I, i've stepped out of those other groups and i wanted to create something of my own which is never give up. And this just doesn't go with just addiction. This is through anything, any type of physical, physical, uh, um, abuse that you're trying to make it through as, as an adult or whatever, even as a child, or you need a heart transplant. I've actually did an interview with a young man that needs a heart transplant, just something that in your life that, or an obstacle or anything that you are going through and you want to voice it and you want to get it out there and you want to reach out for help. I have 600 members right now. It's not too much. That's good though for a Facebook group. Yeah. And, and, and just wanting to, to vent or maybe seek help in another direction or, or getting some feedback, never give up is, is just something that that's there that that's not mine. It's everyone's. And with the opposite of addiction is connection. The opposite of, you know, depression is connection. All these things can can correlate, and and I can I and not only myself but that group can actually help you. It's a really um, great support it. group. Absolutely. Are you in the group? Christine? Yeah, yeah. I joined the group when when you told me about it, Cody. Yeah, and just seeing the people in there are just so willing to be there for each other, and like no matter what you're facing, what you're dealing with, there's a community for you. So I, I would Absolutely. I would say anyone who's listening who just needs a community or support in any way, go join that group because no matter what you're dealing with, the people there want to hear you out and they want to be there for you. Yeah, absolutely. And I suffer from depression, anxiety, all that stuff, right? And and sometimes I just need to let it out and like, this is what I'm going through. What do I do? Or this doctor changed my meds and I don't know what to do. And then you got 10 different people telling you, okay, well, try this, try this, try this. They're giving you feedback, mm-hmm. right? And and ultimately they're giving you some validation too. Like, look, I'm here for you. I'm listening to you. Yeah. You know? Just being heard is yeah. so important. So just do a search, never give up probably right in Facebook. Yeah, never give up on Facebook. I'll put a link for that as well at IamSaltLake.com for people listening. If for some reason you forget what the yeah. name was or something, <laughs> just go to IamSaltLake.com yeah, with absolutely. this episode. Any other tips? Well, you probably have a lot of tips for people that want to be- Don't do drugs, be, folks. Well, no, 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 that want, it, that want to get well, right? Yeah. Like how when you hit that moment when you knew you needed help, I'm sure there's people listening right now yeah. that, that there might be one or two that they're like, I know I know, I need help. Yeah. Besides joining Never Give Up, what else? Do you have what, something else you would tell them? Or, or? Absolutely. Um, contact your physician. And to be honest with you, your physician probably already knows that you're you're abusing drugs. If you see a physician, are they just going to throw them right in jail? Though no, absolutely not. The, I get, there's the, a lot of uh, client privilege, right? Yeah, with, HIPAA. With that. HIPAA. Yeah, HIPAA privacy. But if policies. you if you're saying, look, I'm I'm recreationally using methamphetamine or or um, opiates. See, there's a lot of medications for this thing that can actually help you get off of heroin or or get off of meth. You know. Um, but if you seek out to your physician and say, look, I need some help, they have a lot of resources themselves, but also contacting local treatment centers. Renaissance Ranch is a huge one. Here in Utah? Yeah. Renaissance Ranch is a huge one. Um, that, that one has actually helped me get where I'm at, um, as well as Reflections Treatment Center. So I did, I did, um, intensive 
inpatient treatment where I was residential at a place called Reflections Treatment Center. And then I did uh, outpatient at Renaissance Ranch Treatment Center. And I, being spiritually fit, and, and what spiritually fit means is basically you've come to the realization that you have had a spiritual awakening and, and you need more help. Them opening my eyes to more behaviors that I, that I had and that I've carried my entire life and just kind of dissecting that and, and, and putting it on the table and like, look, this is what you're dealing with. How can we help you? Coming from that stance, um, it changed my life. Steps Treatment Center. There's a lot of treatment centers out there that you can make a call and they'll do their damnedest to get you in. Hmm. But if you, and, and also if you, if you guys would like, if you do reach out on Never Give Up, those are the names of the treatment centers, just some that I could provide or other people can provide and that what they've been through. And I'm sure they could even come to the group to ask for advice oh, or absolutely. suggestions. Because I'm sure there's different absolutely scenarios and situations for yeah. each person. Yeah. And and on the group there's a lot of there's a lot of different topics and whatever. Yeah. And 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 my admins, we we only moderate things that need to be moderated. I have like five rules on there. And one is like be courteous, right? Something's like uh no glorifying drug use or violence, you know, just some just some simple rules that people can follow. But I'm not gonna try to try to erase people's things because I'm like, oh, this person they're they're asking how they can get help off and getting off of heroin and they're sticking a needle arm in 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 their arm every day. I'm not gonna erase something like that because one, there's a lot of groups that do, but for me that's just real life stuff. Mm-hmm. So I'm not. I'm if not, you're if you're ignoring it, then the problem's just gonna be getting exactly, worse under the radar. Exactly, yeah. and all it takes is a post on on Never Give Up and saying, hey. I need help. Where can I find it? And I, I know I'll respond, but I'm sure there's probably like 600 other people yeah. that are going to give mm-hmm. you some resources as well. I have a question as we kind of wind this episode up a little bit here. I did want to, I was curious how difficult it was for you to stay in Salt Lake City during your recovery. Cause I mean, you've lived here your whole life. Yes. You did all your drugs here. All, all yes. your former drug addict friends are here. All your, your former drug circle. dealers were here. Yeah. Wouldn't it have been easier to, to move out of state? It would have or been, is it still hard for you? To it it would have been easier for me to move out of state. Rather than doing that, I'm, I went to Utah County for some time. Made a lot of good connections down there as far as like my boss actually lives out there. And that's how I got yeah. intertwined, you know. Um, but I couldn't leave I wasn't going to run away ultimately from this problem, at least in my, in my recovery, right? A lot of, a lot of people can, can benefit from a geographical change, um, and getting out and starting over. But for me, there's just too much for me to, to stay. I just needed to stay. And doing that, I'm actually able, just like with never give up, I'm actually helping those who I was Hmm. poisoning with the drugs um, and, and they're helping me as well. And, and what I mean by that is me helping one person one day at a time for the rest of my life that if that keeps me sober, then I know I'm doing my job right. So it, it, it was hard in the beginning. Mm-hmm. It was hard to come back to these streets and, and man, I used to use there, but that's the reality of it. But you can go anywhere in this world and find it. If you're an addict, you already hold the keys yeah, but like I knew, I know how it is for me, you know, like I've had a few, uh, 
monumental relationships in my life. Like I remember after my first breakup with a girl, I was living out in Pennsylvania, right? Yeah. It was my first like real girlfriend. I had to get out of there, man, because I couldn't be constantly reminded of her or places, you know, dates we went on or this or that. And so I was wondering if you, you know what I mean? Like you're like, Oh man, I, I, I can't go to this park because that's where I got, you know, the sweet heroin. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. People, places and things is is, Mm -hmm. is huge. That's what addiction's about. Right. Um, there, there is even certain gas stations that you just can't go to. I I won't go to one is because somebody will probably recognize me. And then it's just going to be a situation where I'm like, Hey, I'm doing so good. And and it'll just, so uh, yeah, I try to avoid some, some places. And there's also where I try to avoid some people. But then, then again, if you, if you, if you go to a different state, right. And you're creating bonds with other people, but then you fall into run hanging out with the wrong people. You're going to have to go and flee there and flee there. It's At almost like my, staying here. You know what to avoid. Yeah. I, I kind of know? know what to expect to, for the most part. You know, if I go hang out on 1300 South or North Temple, I know I'm probably going to get myself in some trouble. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? But if I, if I know that I can, uh, stay spiritually fit and, 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 and go, because uh, I put myself in sticky situations all the time. And I would say never to do so unless you know what you're out there and your main goal is. And, and mine was to help people, you know, take my dog out and have a group of people from Never Give Up or, or, or another group or just some people who are wanting to help people and go out and talk to people and see what you could do to help them. Maybe give them a ride to the VOA, stuff like that. So if I, if I'm going out there and I'm committed to do, doing something, and I got my mind set on the prize. Okay, I'm out here. Yes, it's scary, but what am I here for? And then you got like ten other people that have your back, and they're they're doing the exact same thing. Um, and that's when I actually go out and try to help someone, you know. But uh, there's going to be days where I'm going to have to walk to the red iguana or something, sure. you know. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what I keep my mind on. Is okay, I'm going to the red iguana to I'm get some tasty some, food. I'm going to go get some tasty food. You know, I might cross some people along the way, mm-hmm. but I'm in a place where I could do that. And in early recovery, I would not suggest doing that. It's taken a long time to get where I'm at, and I still got a long a long way to go. Because it's an everyday battle. Well, you're probably every so, day for the rest of your life. Exactly. Man. I mean, yeah. still got a long, I, couldn't I, I still hope it's a long way. You know, I don't know if I might choke on like a peanut or something, but at <laughs> least I know I'm doing this something right. So, yeah. well, you know, dude, it's a, it, uh, this, I know this isn't a good comparison, but I used to be a heavy smoker, heavy cigarette smoker, oh, and I still struggle that, with that cigarettes. That's a great comparison, actually. Uh, you know, well, I've heard, I've heard, I've heard quitting yeah. smoking is almost harder than quitting heroin. Yeah, it was, it was just yeah. about just as bad. I was, oh, yeah. I, I, I was an asshole both ways. Yeah, and so <laughs> I still struggle to this day of wanting a cigarette from time to time. You yeah. Know? Mm-hmm. Is there something that we can do? Like the typical person walking around not knowing what's going on. Is there something that we can do? To help be involved or, I mean, even if it's small. Like even yeah. if, like just say something to get active. Yeah, to get active may, or, uh, you know, to help anybody volunteer. who might need help. Yeah. I would say, I would say calling the VOA, asking them if there's any uh, toiletry supplies that you could provide or, or maybe donate. Um, I would also suggest like even the shelter is a good one to donate things. If that's what you're trying to do, mm-hmm. if you're trying to get down and, and work with people, Never give up would be a good one because we we all can create events and things like that. Um, and also you can get on to uh, Facebook as well and look up a lot of different other recovery groups that hold events there where there's donating and there's giving back to the community and 
maybe helping families of those who've, who've, who've lost loved ones to the disease of addiction. Um, there's a lot of different ways that you could reach out and, and be a part of it, whether you're an addict or not, you know? So is there a question that you were hoping we would ask that, or something that we, that you were just like, I'm dying to talk about this. I know there's so much more Cody that we could talk Absolutely. about. We'll just have to bring you back through. Like I said, Absolutely. but I didn't know if there was something that you wanted to talk about um, while we're still recording. I think actually we hit everything right on the yeah, head. Yeah. Um, just, just the awareness that you can bring to, to loving an addict is, is huge. And, and knowing that it's not just a, an addict's disease, it's a family disease. Mm. So when there's one addict, it, it becomes a family issue. And, and what I mean by that is it affects the family as a whole and it, and it turns their lives upside down. That's, that's pretty much it. I always like to have a way for listeners to get a hold of the people that we chat with. Is there a way, like an email address even, or just yeah. through the group Never Give Up? Um, or? Uh, you can you can find me on Facebook at Never Give Up, and also you can find my personal Facebook, uh, Cody Egbert at Facebook.com. Very cool. I'm going to wrap this up. I mean, Chrissy has a final question that she likes to throw out at people. I'm going to let her wrap this episode up that way. Should we, well, actually, should we ask the Utah questions? I feel like it's I, not a pro- proper podcast. I feel if I like don't... we should ask okay, the Utah okay. questions. These are, yeah. We ask a few Utah-related questions. You okay. up for this, Cody? Yeah, I'm, I'm ready. So we have friends and family, right? We all have friends and family that visit Utah, visit Salt Lake City from time to time. It's their first time coming, and they're like, show us around. Where's somewhere you would take them? I mean, we've had people say, you know, Park City. We've had people tell us Utah Lake. The temple. I don't know. Do you have like one or two favorite things you like to do? Um, I've only actually been there once, but been where? Oh, been been to where I'm going to say, uh, which was which was Moab. Oh yeah, I, I gotta I go would, to Moab. I would have to say that that is still like a memory that I've that I have and that I would like to go back. So Moab definitely for the for the view and and the activities that you could do out there. I also like to uh, ask people one or two favorite local eating spots. Is there somewhere where, I mean, even, even like to grab lunch in this area? Where? Yeah. Uh, Cheddar Burger. Okay. Mm-hmm. That is by far one of the best tasting burger places out here that I've had. Um, and also, uh, let's see. And if that's all you can think that's of. That's all that's, I can think yeah, of. Yeah. At least out here in Salt Lake, I can go other places, but out yeah. here in Salt Lake for sure. Throw your final question, Chrissy. Yeah. My final question is if you could leave a piece of advice or a motto that you live by with our listeners, what would it be? Never give up. Many thanks again to Cody Egbert for joining us on this episode of the podcast. All the links mentioned on this episode can be found on our website at IamSaltLake.com slash 393. That's for episode 393. All right, guys, I need you to pay attention for just a moment. Are you driving a car? Pull over to the side. I need you to pay attention here because this is really important for us. City Weekly's Best of Utah voting is going on right now. It actually just started this last week. It's going to be going all the way until September 2nd. They have all kinds of categories here, guys. Best burgers, best restaurant, whatever. You get a vote for what you think is the best in Utah. Well, they have a best local podcast so, of course, we need you to go vote for I Am Salt Lake podcast. You guys came through for us last year, so we're kind of hoping you'll come through again this year for us. We made a really easy URL uh, that you could type into your web browser, just IamSaltLake.com slash Best of Utah 2019, and that will forward you to their little voting 
section on the website or whatever. You just need to vote for 10 categories. So, you know, keep in mind, maybe vote for some of our sponsors, Salt Lake Barber Company Company, uh, for Best Barber, CBD, Kennedy Botanicals. You guys get the idea, right? And, and of course, best vape shop. You got to vote best vape Empire, shop right? Absolutely. So make sure to get out there and vote for us. You have until September 2nd. Tell your family and friends to vote for us as well. And let's let's win this. Let's win again. Best local thank podcast. Thank you, guys. Just thank you the best. You're the best listeners. Can we vote for the, everyone for the best listeners? <laughs> I'm going to do that. Why not? <laughs> Perfect. Support for I Am Salt Lake comes from KRCL 90.9. Amplifying community voices since 1979. This listener-supported music discovery station covers everything from reggae and punk rock to local grassroots activism. Listen today at 90.9 FM or online at krcl.org. Hey, before we get into our weekly recommendations, and we have some great recommendations this week, we need to give a shout out and some love to our Patreon supporters. Wow, we got all kinds of things to share with you guys this week, guys. I got to run down this list. We have a great group of Patreon supporters. I love these guys. You have no idea what you guys do for the podcast. Seriously, even $1 a month goes so far. If you want to become a Patreon supporter, it's really easy. Patreon.com slash I am Salt Lake. You can become a supporter for as little as $1. Uh, and you could be as cool as these guys. John Miller, Mark Copeland, Todd Bjorkland, Tim Haran, Nicole Davison, Alex Santi, Riley Padilla, Brandon Hill from Mountain Standard Time Marketing, Will Dugdale, Brittany Hemingway, Jeff Hadfield, Michael Beck, Eric Tomorrow, Jeff Hat, Sana, Alan Martindale, Nick Naylor, Brett Schmidt, Three Irons SLC, Nikki Line, Michelle Stevens-Williams, Margaret from Dirt in Your Skirt Podcast, Christopher A. Heiser and Jay Chambers. That is a list, you guys. I love them. They're the best. Group of great people. Yeah, I just want a group hug time. Group hug time. Again, <laughs> become a Patreon supporter. Patreon.com slash I Am Salt Lake. I believe there's also a link at I Am Salt Lake uh, with this episode as well. And it is weekly recommendation time. This is that time of the podcast where Chrissy and I, we just give a, a, our own weekly recommendation. They're, they're not sponsors. They, they don't even know we're talking about them, but it's just something we want to make sure to tell our listeners because we either love it or we discovered it or something. So what is your weekly recommendation, Chrissy? I may have recommended this before, but I'm going to recommend it again because it is the bomb.com. And we were there last night. We were there last night. Quarters Arcade Bar, you guys. It is so much fun. Go visit it. Seriously. It's like, it's like reverting to childhood and just having an awesome night every time you go. So go check it it out. And um, what's their address? I think they're on the corner, like 400 South and Main Street or something like that. Old old, uh, Club Manhattan. Hey, my weekly recommendation, and I'll probably get crap from the diehard gym fanatics, is Planet Fitness, okay? I do have a bone to pick with them, though, but I'm going to mention, so so we recently moved, again, thanks to uh, Market Source Real Estate for, for helping us find our dream home. Mm-hmm. Great home. Love it. Oh, my gosh. Seriously. But anyway, the gym that I was going to, 24-hour fitness, was further away, right? There's not a whole lot of them here in the area. So I was like, well, I'll try to find a new gym. Well, there's a Planet Fitness not far from the home at all. So I was like, well, let's go check this out. 10 bucks a month yeah. for, I mean, you really cannot beat that. I can get everything done that I need to, you know, my cardio and weightlifting and all that. 
So definitely, I mean, if you're if you're on a budget and you want to go to a gym, check out Planet Fitness. The only bone I have to pick from, I don't understand why they push all the candy. There's a lot oh, of candy. Yeah, there yeah. Tootsie Rolls, and then I've heard they have pizza they parties. They have pizza parties. Yeah, and, not, yeah. That's, that's kind of dumb. And I, ah, See, I, I think it's because their whole thing is like, it's like a no shame gym, you know? And so well, yeah, but dude, why shove pizza in our face? Well, that's, that's probably, that's know, probably that, true. That, that's like, that's like somebody saying they're vegan, but here's a hamburger. <laughs> I mean, that, that just doesn't make sense to me, right? Like you, yeah. you have values and I get that. Like, you know, you can't eat like fine, eat candy on your, but just don't pump it on a gym. I mean, well, yeah, that, that's that, fair. That's, that's fair. like, that's, ah, that's, yeah, that's just kind of silly. So, <laughs> well, that's going to do it for this episode. Don't forget to support our show sponsors, Mark Miller Subaru, Market Source Real Estate, and the Salt Lake Barber Company. We'll have links for all of them at our website under the notes for this episode, which you can always find at IamSaltLake.com. And if you have anything you'd like to share with us, you can always send us letters, postcards, or packages to P.O. Box 4412, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84110. You have a great week. Make sure to get out and enjoy the city this week. Support local whenever possible, and we'll see you on the next episode. And good night, Grammy.